0: only to steal and kill and destroy, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus is speaking to people who understood the role of shepherds. Now, uh, here in New York City, we don't have a lot of shepherds. I'm not sure we have any shepherds. Uh, to be honest, have any, any of you who live here seen any shepherds around or sheep or goats. I've eaten curry goats, so I know there's goats around somewhere. Um, I don't think that's the same thing, though. But we're kind of cut off from this, this sort of pastoral, agricultural world that Jesus lived in, right? We live in, we live in urban New York City. We have a totally different lifestyle. So it's kind of difficult for us to connect with this metaphor. So I'm going to try, to try to help you understand their culture, their history, their context. So Jesus is speaking to a bunch of people who understood shepherding. It was very common back then that you would have these shepherds out in the fields. In fact, do you remember when, when Jesus was born? The angels came and they told someone that the Messiah was born. Who did they go to? They went to the shepherds. Right? The shepherds were out in their field They were keeping watch over their flocks by night And the sh- angels come to them And proclaim That the Messiah has come The imagery of, of Lambs and shepherds and sheep Is all throughout the New Testament In fact, John The Baptist At the very beginning of this gospel He talks about how Jesus Is the Lamb of God He's using imagery Of sheep shepherds. All throughout the Old Testament, even beyond that, God refers to himself as the great shepherd of his people. Uh, The prophet Ezekiel describes the words of God where God is talking about how his people are in need of a good shepherd, someone who will guide them. So the Israelites, the ancient Jews, 2,000 years ago, they were used to seeing sheep and maybe goats wandering around. There were probably some stray sheep that would wander down the streets of Jerusalem from time to time. But they were especially used to seeing shepherds and hired hands who would work under the authority of the shepherds to care for the sheep. And they would have... How you make your living. You, uh, you fleece them uh, and you sell that and you make clothing out of out of their out of their wool. This is how you're gonna make a living. You can't just let all your sheep wander all over, right? That wouldn't work. You need to somehow figure out how to keep them contained. And so they would have these sheep pens, and the sh- the shepherd would frequently stand in Sometimes many shepherds would lay down in the gate, and they would sleep as the door. So, like, over here there's this door, right? It would be kind of like, uh, let's say the the door to the roof, uh, that leads to the roof, in case you didn't know. Let's say we're worried about the kids running out (coughs) on the roof and getting hurt, but the door is broken. The door is not there. And so Lorenzo says, I will be the door to the roof. And so Lorenzo And he's like, instead of sitting over here for church, I'm going to sit over there. And so he sits there with his Bible and he listens to the sermon and he worships, but he doesn't come over there because Lorenzo has become the door. He's actually functioning as the door. And to get to the roof, you have to go through Lorenzo. A number of shepherds would actually do that back then, they would function as the door. Jesus looks at people who were used to seeing shepherds and their apprentices. They were used to seeing sheep and goats. Jesus looks at them and he says, Truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. (coughs) I'm the door for the sheep. He means two things. passage is that Jesus is the door to true life. And he's making a very bold statement here. and saying that he is the only way in to life. If you're a, a sheep and you want to get into your sheep pen to lay down for the night and go to sleep, you'd have to go through your shepherd. you have to go through the, the gate. <coughs> and the shepherd would be laying there across the enclosure making sure the right sheep get in. His sheep, not somebody else's sheep, but his sheep get into the fold. Jesus says that he is the true and authentic door. He is the only way of life. Look at verse number eight. He says, all who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep didn't listen to them. So apparently, there are, there are impossible there are counterfeit shepherds. But the sheep don't listen to them. What does he mean by that? Well, it was very common back then that you'd have shepherds, and they would kind of watch their flocks together. And so there might be a hundred sheep kind of on this hillside together. (coughs) Excuse me. But they might be comprised of three or four different flocks. So the shepherds would go, and they would stand there, and they would call out to their sheep. And the sheep trained to respond to the voice of their shepherd. So if you've got 100 sheep, and I'm the shepherd over 22 of them, I go and I stand at the edge, and I call out to my sheep, and my 22 separate from the flock. And I lead them into the sheep pen. Jesus said, the people who came before me, they were thieves and robbers. They were imposters. They were not true and authentic shepherds. The sheep didn't listen. When the sheep heard the voice of these thieves and robbers, when the when the sheep heard these imposters crying out and saying, We are the way to life, we are we are the path to true and authentic life, the sheep did not respond. But now the sheep are listening because I am the true and authentic gate to the sheep I By the time Jesus showed up on the scene 2,000 years ago, a number of imposters had come claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be the one who could offer salvation to Israel and ultimately to the world. But they all lived and died and nothing spectacular ever happened. There are thieves and there are robbers. There are imposters. There are counterfeits. There are con artists. There are these traveling rabbis who claim to be the Messiah or the the prophet of the Messiah. But they do not have the truth. He says, so the sheep, they will listen to their voice. But Jesus comes and he says, I am the one. And I am standing there at the edge of the sheepfold. And I am calling out my sheep. And I am calling and they listen to me. Because my voice is the only true voice. My voice is the only way to life. You see, Jesus here is not just making a bold claim to being the door to true life. He's saying that he is the only door to life. Look at verse 9. He says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and So, according to verse 9, who can be saved? Look look down at verse 9. According to verse 9, who can be saved? What does verse 9 say about who can be saved? Who can be saved? Anyone who enters. That's right. You got it. Now, Jesus, don't miss this. He's making a a pretty audacious claim. Showing up and he says, Hey, you want life? You want heaven? You gotta go through me. Now, we talked about this last week when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. That it sounds bold, it sounds audacious, and if it's not true, it's arrogance and it's cockiness. Like if I show up and I'm like, hey bro, you want life? You gotta go through me. That would be arrogant. There's only one way that this statement can be not arrogant. And that's if it actually happens to be true. If this is truly God in the flesh, if this man truly is the only path to salvation, the only path to life, then, and only then, does this statement make sense. And does the statement have power? And does the statement bring life? Jesus is saying that salvation is only through him. At Mosaic, we talk a lot about uh, being inclusive and making sure that we're welcoming all kinds of people uh, into our worship services, into our small groups, into our missional families. And the Bible teaches that God is that inclusive kind of God who welcomes all people. The Bible also teaches that Jesus is exclusive. What I mean by that is exactly what he says right here want life, you come through me. In Acts chapter 4 in the New Testament, it says, there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved except the name of Jesus. Why could the apostles say that in Acts chapter 4? Because that's what Jesus had said himself over and over and over again through the Gospels. He says, I'm the bread of life. You want to live? true life, walk through the door, he's using a different metaphor each time, but he's meaning the same thing every time. He's saying, I and I alone am the only path to salvation. I and I alone am the only path to life. So even as we emphasize the inclusive nature of the gospel, that God offers salvation to every single human being on planet Earth, we also recognize that Jesus here is being exclusive. He's saying, it's only through me that you experience life. I know this can be controversial. It has been controversial for 2,000 years. Good catch. Everybody look back up this way. It's all good. It's been controversial now for 2,000 years. It was controversial when Jesus came. This is why the Jewish people killed Jesus. hear any of that. So they crucified For 2,000 years now, people have been wrestling with this idea that Jesus is the only way. Some people n- don't think it sounds fair. Some people think it seems unjust. But last week we talked about Jesus being the creator. He is the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. If Jesus truly is the then he takes on flesh and becomes a part of the creation. And he's God in the flesh that gives him the right and the authority that no one else has to offer one single path to life. And it's through him. I want mosaic to be a welcoming space where people can come and explore who Jesus is. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, We frequently have people here in our midst who worship with us and they're seeking, they're exploring, they're questioning, they're doubting that doesn't bother me at all. In fact, that's what we want. We want to be this inclusive environment where people can come and explore who Jesus is. But I always tell people, I don't believe in a bait and switch. So when people are like, hey, I'm Muslim or I'm Buddhist or I'm just skeptical, can I come to your church service? And I'm like, sure, that's awesome love to have you and I'm not going to push anything down your throat but I do want you to understand that even as we're trying to cultivate an inclusive environment I'm always going to be coming at it from the angle of Jesus because I am a follower of Jesus and I really do believe that he and he alone is the gate of the so we can never shrink from both the inclusivity of the gospel that it is for everyone and the exclusivity there's a second element that he means when he says that he is the door, he's the gate to the sheep, pen, and that's that he offers true life. First off, he's the only way to life, but second, he offers true life, life for real. Have you ever had something that you thought was amazing, and then later you realize you didn't have the real thing, and you're like, oh man, I was settling for something that was not nearly as Small town uh, in Florida, town of about five thousand people, and um, uh, my uh, my my culture um, was fairly limited based on where I lived. Uh, so I grew up thinking that Chinese food was the kind of American Chinese food that mm-hmm. probably many of us have had. You guys know what I'm talking about—soy chicken and all that stuff—that is not at all Chinese. Uh, I remember like three or four years ago uh, after I moved here to New York City thinking I knew what real Chinese food was. Uh, Kevin, some of you know Kevin. Um, I went out uh, uh, to lunch with Kevin. Kevin said, hey, let's go have dumplings. Now, I know some of you are not from the South, so you're not going to understand this, but where are am from. Dumplings uh, is very different from what Kevin meant by dumplings. Okay, dumpling in the South is like this ready biscuit kind of doughy thing know what I'm talking about, right? So I thought we were having that, and I wasn't really in the mood for that. Uh, But I was like, I mean, okay, Kevin, whatever you wanna do, like, let's go do it. And so we walk into this, we walk into this restaurant, um, so shortly after I moved to New York, so I guess it was maybe like five years ago, and um, Kevin's like, all right, we're here. And I look around, and he said, Kevin, I thought we were going out for dumplings. And he said, we are. This is dumplings. And I look around, And I realized that for the first time in my life, I am in a actually real Chinese restaurant with real and authentic Chinese food. What I had been eating growing up was a cheap counterfeit. I'm not saying it didn't taste good, but it wasn't the real thing. And what Kevin did in this dumpling restaurant is he introduced me to that which is true, that which is authentic that which is better. Jesus said you've been standing on this side of the door, and you've been living, but it's not a really living. On the other side of the door lies true life. On the other side of the door is what you are creating. On the other side of the door is what you were destined for on the other side of the door, you step through the door, you go through Jesus, and you experience life for real. How do we know that? Verse 10, he says, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Abundant life. What does this mean? Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the theme of eternal life, because Jesus both says with the There's abundant life. He he describes it in different ways, but it's the same idea each time. Now, I want to remind you of something that I said a couple of weeks ago. This is an an important idea. When the Gospel of John talks about eternal life, it does not mean life after death. Eternal life is not The Bible talks about one day every single human being will be raised from the dead and stand before God for judgment. Some will be cast into the lake of fire, the Bible says, and some will enter into God's kingdom. Everybody lives forever, either in the presence of God or eternally separated from Him. So eternal life cannot mean life after death. Eternal life, according to John, starts now, and it goes forever it speaks, not just of a a quantity, of of an amount of life that we have, but more importantly, and more deeper than that, it is speaking to the quality of life. A new and a different kind of life. Life in communion with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. If you're confused on that point, I have a blog at the Gospel Coalition uh, that I can Share with you to help you understand exactly what eternal life means. Eternal life is this, it's a a qualitatively different kind of life. Let me talk about what true life is not, because maybe this will help us to understand it. A lot of times we come to Jesus and we want that good life, which is fine, because the verse actually. have to define the good life the way Jesus does. Now, how do you think New York defines the good life? Shout it out to me. How does New York define the good life? A new condo. A luxury condo, yeah? With stainless steel appliances. Windows. That's the good life right there service, or maybe even owning your own car, <laughs> parking, popularity, popularity but you're, in, you're in such high demand, you're busy all the time, what else, what, yeah. <laughs> yes, that is true, come on, keep talking, there's, there's more, Emily, I think shopping, and, the shopping and travel, shopping and travel, pressure On Jesus' terms. Not in Brooklyn's terms. Not in Manhattan's terms or Queens' terms. He defines it on his terms. By the terms of the kingdom of God. Here's what true life does not look like. Here's what the good life is not it is not health. It is not wealth. It is not power. It is not. 12 disciples? It's almost as if Jesus starts a church and nobody comes. How's that for prestige? You see, Jesus doesn't define the good life like we define the good life. But he holds it out there for us and he says, step through the door to experience the good life. So if that's not the good life, what is it? I want to make some suggestions Because Christianity is not an individual endeavor. The gospel speaks to us first as individuals, but then it forms a group. It forms a people, a family. So we're going to talk about it first individually and then as a group. On an individual level, what does the good life look like? What is this abundant life that Jesus talks about? What does it look like? I think it could look like peace in my heart when I've been through a breakup. It could be joy. In the middle of deep suffering. It can be faith in Christ even when my co-workers ridicule me for my faith. It can be sexual purity even as we live in a sex-in-the-city kind of culture. That's not usually what any of us think of when we think of the good life. We want the bling Upside down, sort of way. He offers us the good life, and in our sin-cursed minds, we think, that doesn't sound very good. I mean, you're talking about joy and suffering. I don't want to suffer. You're talking about peace when things are going wrong. I don't want things to go wrong. You're talking about faith when our coworkers ridicule us. What about this sounds good? You see, what happens is that we have been so affected by sin's curse. Thousands of years ago, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, we fell with them. That is the teaching of the Bible. And so every fiber of my being, my heart, my mind, my body, all of it, has been tainted by sin. And so I instinctively want that which is not good. Jesus comes along and he says, on the other side of that door is the true and authentic kind of life. You have been settling for that which you think is good, but you are deceived. Because on the other side of this door is the real deal. On the other side of this door is true life. What about on the group level? On a group level, what would abundant life look like? What would the good life look like in a group setting, like a church? I think it could look like, and again, this is not all the ideas, just a few. We lay down our cultural preferences so that we can thrive as a multicultural church. It means I don't have to come to church and want everything to be just like the kind of church I grew up in lay down my cultural preferences for the good of others. We work together, parents and non-parents, to raise the kids that God has given as a gift to this church. We give away power. We serve one another recklessly. We practice radical generosity with our money, giving to the church, giving to missions, giving to the poor, giving to one another. We work together to share our faith Sin. This is the good life, among other things. Now, if that doesn't sound good to us, it's because our minds and our hearts are not yet shaped by this bold and audacious statement of Jesus. I am the door. I am the gate. Jesus comes And he tells us that which we do not want to hear, but that which we desperately need to hear. That not only is he the only way to life, but that he is the way to true and authentic, rich, deep life. The good life. Life for real. I believe that God can speak in a variety of different ways. I want to suggest a couple of ways. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in a different way, feel free to write that down. Feel free to to respond as the Holy Spirit would speak to you. Here's a couple of thoughts. First, God is calling us to walk through the door. Now, I want to be clear. If you are already a Christian, if you have already embraced Jesus and you have already walked through door. I'm not asking you to do point number one. If you're here and you're not sure who Jesus is, you've been in and out of church, maybe you've heard it your whole life, but you're like, I don't know. I'm not convinced. I'm not sold on who Jesus is. The challenge for you today is pretty simple. Walk through the door. Jesus stands there and he says, I am the way in a sheep, you're a lamb, and you want to get it to the sheepfold, which represents life, there's only one way to do it, and that's coming through you. And that takes a leap of faith. Because what you're trusting is that Jesus is telling the truth. And that what's in the sheepfold really is life. That what's in the sheepfold really is true and authentic life. That this is truly the only way to salvation. So if you're not here to sure that Jesus has saved you. you, you're not confident that you have this sort of relationship with God where you know that you have life, I'd encourage you to walk through the door. Write down on your card that you want to do that and maybe you want to talk to somebody. I'm not going like, to embarrass you in front of everyone, but I'll give you a call this week or I'll talk to you after the service. You can know for sure that you have the Christians and who are part of our church. And it's very specific. Ask my missional family to help me embrace true life. Because we've talked about it, we, we know the kind of mold that our city wants to squeeze us into, like Jello, right? Where we're going to be like, forced into New York's mold. And God says, don't, don't be shaped by New York City. Instead, be shaped by the sayings of Christ. Instead, be shaped by who I am. going on in your life and ask your missional family to help you embrace true and authentic life. Because the reality is that even for those of us who are Christians, we have already walked through the door. We're on the other side. But we still want to sometimes put a foot back. On the other side. We have eternal life. We don't but well, we don't want to live it to the fullest. We don't want to embrace the good life because we keep hearing the serpents whispering voice saying, Hey, doesn't this fruit look good? It offers you life. And so we're tempted and we reach out for the fruit, forgetting that we already have life. We've already been granted eternal life now. So there's a writer named C.S. Lewis. You guys have heard me talk about him quite a bit. He said, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far The problem is the kids don't always recognize. playing with our mud pies when Jesus offers us a holiday at the beach. And we settle for what we think is real life. We settle for our version, our city's version of the good life. And what Jesus offers us is true and authentic life. He says, no, you haven't even lived. You're just beginning to live. Come. As you have stepped through this door, begin to experience life for me. You see, Lewis understood that Jesus is the only door to life. And the life that he offers is true life. It's not just life after death, although that's a hugely important part of it. But Jesus offers eternal life. Abundant life. True life, Now, It's the life for which human beings were created. This is the life that Adam and Eve were designed for in the garden. You and I are hardwired for the good life—the good life that Jesus defines, the good life that Jesus offers us, the good life that Jesus died so that we have. It's the life for which we were created in the garden. It's flourishing under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is life. so grateful for the offer of life that you have given us. Jesus, we are grateful for how you laid down your life on the cross and rose from the dead so that we can have life for real. Spirit, we are grateful that you come to empower us to live this new kind of life because we confess that we do not have what it takes to live this life. But we step through the door by faith Empower us day by day. Be with us as we close this service. I pray that you would speak powerfully to our hearts, I pray that you would shape us to be the kind of people who live together.